Now, I hate teaching about false teaching. But you have to do it because if you teach through the whole Bible, you will hit every conceivable topic, and this is one of them. And we have to know about false teaching so that we can identify it when we see it. And we're not to be passive and accepting everything we hear, everything we see. There are buckets of screwball teaching going on in the world, and it's amplified like never before. And Peter here wants his readers to be able to continually enter into that eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What bars the entry is false teaching. It will not get you in. And in fact, it will prevent you from entering. It will keep you right where you're at unprepared for the kingdom, unprepared for judgment. Because the tempting thing about false teaching is that it speaks directly to our weaknesses. It speaks to just the things that I want. What's the matter with that? Well, that appeals to our natural self-centeredness. And it comes out of the Bible. False teaching comes straight out of the Bible. But it's not all the truth of the Bible. And that's the deadly part. False teaching does not change you because it's not the whole truth. And it leaves you under punishment for the day of judgment. So, we're reading in 2 Peter, and I'm reading at the, at the top of chapter 2. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. 
For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And we'll leave it there. Now, the danger about false teachers is that they pick and choose what they teach from the Bible. This word used in verse 1, heresies, it's actually a transliteration out of the Greek. It's, the Greek word is heresis. And it means literally a choice. And you think, okay, well, what does choice have to do with it? And the answer is truth has to be complete and whole or else it's not true. And if you only get part of the truth, then you're missing something vital that you need to know. And the heresy comes from picking and choosing from the truth and not teaching the whole thing. Truth is not like a smorgasbord where you come up and you say, well, I like these little thingies here, but I don't like lutefisk. And lutefisk is sort of the Norwegian equivalent of haggis. Just so you know where we're at here. You could say, well, I want to go, you know, for the good stuff, and I want to leave the lutefisk alone. And let somebody who really likes it enjoy that. It's all yours there. But the heresy comes from picking and choosing the truth and ignoring the rest. And it's what false teachers don't teach that is so misleading. Now, a classic example of this in church history one of the classic heretics is a guy in the second century, around 130, and his name was Martian, not from another planet. But it's how it comes out in Latin, Martian. And here's a guy who grew up in the church. His dad was an official in the church, and he got these ideas together that weren't biblical. And how he became famous, notorious, is that he came to the conclusion that Paul was the only authentic apostle. Because Paul was against law as a basis for relationship with God. And Martian was being led away by false teaching that tended to split spiritual and material into two bits. And the material was bad, and the spiritual is good. And so the God of the Old Testament who created the material was bad. But the God of the New Testament who is spiritual 
is good. So Martian decided, away with the Old Testament and away with anything that smacks of Judaism or the Old Testament in the New Testament. So he picked one gospel, Luke, and he got rid of everything in it that smacked of the Old Testament. And he heavily edited that. And then he only took the letters of Paul and he edited those. Everything quoted from the Old Testament, out. And he says, gospel, letters, that's it. Now, he tried to talk to church leaders about this in Asia Minor, where he was from. He went to Rome, Rome, Asia Minor, didn't talk to him. This stuff's heretical. So he eventually broke with the church and started his own church. And it continued for generations. Even though, according to Paul, you're better off if you don't marry. So they all practiced being celibate. They're kids. They didn't have kids. So it all survived on conversion. And it survived on conversion for generations. It wasn't true. Big problem. Now what this provoked was the church had to react to this. And it forced the church to have to know what is the word of God. And they had to address this issue of canon. Can you throw out the Old Testament? And they knew you cannot. Because the Old Testament is the paper trail. It is the word of God. It has all the prophecies that show that Jesus alone is from God. And what Martian did was take the truth, erase the foundation, and it's no longer true. So, this guy picked and chose from truth, and it ended up not being the truth. Now, here, Peter says that the false teacher's motivation is covetousness. He says in verse 2, verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. All right. Now, this is one of the things we were looking at last Friday in 1 John about false prophets. He says in, in chapter 4, verse 5, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. And when we thought about what is the emphasis excuse me, of the world, that's in 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So false teachers pick and choose those things in the Bible that speak to the values of the world. What you want in order to be comfortable. What you want 
in order that people will look at you and say, wow. So, and then pride. And the false teachers teach, according to these things, appealing to people's natural selves. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you even as your soul prospers. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's one of the biggest false teachings of this century and the last century. And if you support this ministry, God is going to bless your seed faith. You plant one, and you get 30, 60, 100 fold back. So these false teachers exploit their followers. They say, yeah, I want God to bless me here. And the crazy thing is, it works even in poor countries. It preys on people who can't afford it. And I've been to Congo with Gudene, and we've sat in these churches, and these people come up and give what they can so the pastor will pray for them, you know? And these guys are not helping anybody. The only people they're helping is themselves. And I say to Gudene, okay, what are we doing here? And he says, they need the truth. Give it to them. And I go, fair enough. Let's do it. So it's like we're coming from another planet. And I've actually had those guys there tell me, you know, what the, the kind of stuff you're talking about, we used to hear 50 years ago, and nobody is talking about this stuff nowadays. You know why? Because they're picking and choosing. And they're not delivering the whole truth of God. And therefore, they are preying on people and making people victims. Now, who in the world wouldn't want health? Who in their right mind wouldn't want prosperity? Anybody here? Oh, I love poverty. It's one of my favorites. See, that appeals to everybody. And so that's why people sign up for this. They're actually in need. They're sick. And they're broke. And they're desperate. And here comes. God wants to bless you. Yeah? Give. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And it's because of these people that the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Blasphemed, spoken evil of. Because, see, people can see where this is going. Look at the money. Where does the money go? Look at the way these guys dress. Look what kind of cars they drive. Look what kind of aircraft they fly in. Creflo Dollar says, I need a new jet. And his followers just give millions so we can have a new jet. Praise the Lord. People look on and say, it's all a scam. They're fakes. They're hypocrites. And that makes it harder 
when you're trying to be legit and you come out and say, you're a Christian, you're trying to share the Lord, and they say, oh, yeah, you're one of them, are you? Scamola, not me, man. I ain't buying that stuff. And you go, thanks a lot, Creflo. And all those other guys with microbrains, because they're making it harder for us. I actually talked to um, a council minion about doing an outreach in a park. And he was making it tough on me. And, I, and he says, it's all about money, isn't it? I thought, what money? Whose money? What are you talking about? He says, you want to get more members so you get more money. I said, you're crazy. You know, if I wanted money, I would not be doing this. There's no money in this. Are you kidding? Not if you do it right. If you do it wrong, boy, there's boatloads of money. But money is not the sign that you're doing good. Health is not the sign that you're doing good. So, you know, this blasphemes Jesus. And these false teachers multiplying these followers who are also blaspheming Jesus, thinking they're doing God a favor. So if you come to the whole message of the Bible, it's not about God has a wonderful plan for your life. The message of the Bible is sin, judgment, and righteousness. Peter is talking about judgment here. And judgment is because of sin. Now, God created a perfect universe. He looked at everything he made every single day and said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And when he got to the end of it, everything, he said, behold, it is very good. And you run into people who say, oh, yeah, God created the world, huh? Well, if he created the world, then how comes there's sickness? How come people's lives are getting ruined? Huh? And they think they got this, got you, man. But you know, they're wrong. They say, well, if there is a God, he is the devil then, huh? You know, the devil is the devil, and God is God. Because of this whole issue of sin. And Peter says here, angels and men have sinned against God. And that's why the world is headed to judgment. It's not any fault in God. And you know the awesome reality is that Everything in this universe is headed to that judgment before the throne of God where a person's eternal destiny will be carried out. Now this judgment, says Peter, is not idle, not sleeping. And when I think of that, I think about Frodo pottering around inside 
you know, the devil, uh, the, the dwarves' big thing is piles of gold, and all of a sudden he realizes Smaug is awake. This big eye opens up, and you go, can't breathe. He's awake. Well, just realize something much worse than a giant dragon is awake. Judgment is at work. Not sleeping. Just because you don't see something happen doesn't mean we're all moving at the same rate towards judgment that will surely happen because God has already indicated that he will judge. And for example, in verse 4, God judged angels who sinned against him. And usually you don't think of angels sinning, do you? All you think about are these fat babies with wings. You think, doesn't even know anything. How could he sin, you know? The worst is, fly into a wall. Don't do that. Somebody help this kid, will you? That's not what angels are. An entire order of living beings above us exist. Powerful, glorious, spiritual. God created them. And we know that the highest angel of all God's creation sinned against God and fell, and God judged him. Now, the two places to read about the devil is Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And you can always remember those places because you take 14 and double it, you get 28. Isaiah, Ezekiel, get it? And when you read those two places, you learn some interesting things about who the devil was as the light bearer, Lucifer. That used to be a good name until he took it down with him and about what he did. But I'm reading in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. God says, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And that says that God created this angel perfect. So this angel brought some innovation to his life, and that is he sinned. Now this is what it says in Ezekiel 28, verse 17. God says to him, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Now, amazing to think, but the angels can see God. Now, that would be something to see. To actually see the glory of God, the most important person, the most high God, uncreated God, eternal God, an angel can see God. And yeah, he created everything, but he's greater. He's above. He's transcended. 
The angels could see God, but here's one angel that turns away from God and begins looking at himself and says, wow, I'm beautiful. Wow. I'm something else. Huh. Look at me. And God says, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. This is where Isaiah 14 comes in. Because for the sake of his splendor, this angel says, why aren't I God? I want to be God. I got power. I got beauty. Why shouldn't I be God? I will make myself like the Most High. And God says at that point, you sinned. There's no way that a created being could ever be God. Ever. And to turn away from God, the creator of all that is good. His own existence depends upon God. And he says, nah, I'm better. I want to be my own boss. I want to exalt myself. And to do that, I have to put God down. So this angel became the devil. And in Revelation 12, verse 4, it indicates that the devil drew a third of God's angels to follow him. So he's somebody. A third of the angels vote for him. He's our guy. We like him. Now, See, verse 4 here refers to angels who fell with the devil. And it refers to what they did. And this happened in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you. Now, this is pre-flood, by the way. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, in the letter of Jude in the New Testament, Jude refers to this, and this is what he says. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And see, these angels did what the devil did. Instead of worshiping God and being focused on the uncreated living God, they turned and they looked down on the earth and they said, Man, she's gorgeous. 
I'm going to sleep with her. And a spiritual being crosses whatever divides men from angels and says, I want you. Now, the Greek myths are full of this stuff of gods coming down and sleeping with women and producing demigods. Greater than human, not quite godlike. Some of the myths say that the gods raised up these demigods to be gods themselves. Now, here is a reflection of this in Genesis. And you'd think, okay, that's kind of silly. Is that real? But one thing about it I find interesting is the persistence of this idea. It doesn't die, ever. Huge, big-selling book series. Percy Jackson. Ever read those books? I got to read them because my kids read them. And I'm reading this stuff, and I'm thinking, this is the stuff I used to read when I was a kid because I got into mythology too. And it's still with us. What is the deal? The gods sleep with women. And they have children. Now, if you read on in, in Genesis 6, it produced an entire world of violence and strife because the very act of these angels sleeping with women is violent. And it's vile. The women had no choice. If you read any of those Greek myths, they don't even stand a chance. A God shows up in his glory and his power, and that's it. So really, the women had no choice. You might as well call it rape. And in some of those myths, that's exactly what it is. In fact, Europa was raped by Zeus in the form of a bull. Now, that was too much information there, and I'm so sorry. But that's the kind of vile, gross stuff being written about. Now, Peter says that God did not spare those angels. And that word spare means to treat tenderly and gently. One thing God lets us know about here is that the punishment is just. It fits the crime. These angels were not gentle. They did not spare their victims. God did not spare them either. He did not treat them gently. They're under chains. In the lowest part of the place of the dead right now. Not hell, but if you look up that word, it's a Greek word used only here, the word Tartarus. And that was a word used in Greek mythology about the lowest place. And interestingly, that's where Zeus, the chief god, shut up the titans so they could never come out. And there they are. In the deepest part of the place of the dead, right now, these angels with glory and power shut up in darkness. They've been there for thousands of years. And the only place they're going after this is the lake of fire, and they'll never come out. Because they sinned against God.
Now, Peter says they, that God also judged the ancient world. And I'll repeat what I said there. It says, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So everyone on the earth out for themselves. Dog eat dog and the devil take the hindmost. Oppression, wickedness, selfishness on an extreme, gross scale. God says, I wish I hadn't made them. Can you imagine? People have made calculations of what the world's population would have been at the time of the flood, given the age that people lived. If you lived like nine centuries and had children, what would the rate of growth be? What would the population of the earth be? And they figured it would be something like seven or eight billion people on the planet. Approximately what we have now. And so God, you'll notice, preserved Noah. And the reason was because Noah listened to God. So that when God said, I want you to build an ark for your preservation, and I want you to tell people it's going to come. For 120 years, Noah built that ark, and he told people, God's going to destroy the earth. It's time to repent. He preached righteousness. That's what Peter calls him. Judgment is coming. You need to repent. Now, what did 7 billion people do? They weren't listening. Ignore. I cancel you. And that's it. Go on with life. Let's get married. Let's do this. Daily life. Everything keeps rolling. Until the day that Noah goes into the ark and God breaks up the fountains of the deep with such violence that seven or eight billion people are extinguished in a day. And they never knew what hit them. And what Noah said was true. And again, the punishment fits the crime. Eight billion people not listening to God. And when the time for judgment came, God was not listening to them. Peter says here that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here are cities that would not serve God. And in fact, they were self-serving. That means you serve your own interests in disregard of the truth or the interests of others. And God explained their sin in Ezekiel chapter 16. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. And there are some people who say, well, see, 
doesn't talk about homosexuality. Homosexuality is not a sin. But that word abomination is the same word used in Leviticus 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It's not the only sin, homosexuality. It's just, what do you do when you've got everything you need and you're bored? And everything you've already done is no fun. And you're pushing the envelope. And it's edgy. So it's just kind of the, the end of, I've done everything else. Let's push for more. Now, the punishment fits the crime. Here are people who did not want to serve God, and they served themselves. But regardless, they f- serve God to this day. Because they serve as an example of what not to do. So even though they don't want to serve God, they serve God anyway. And if you serve your own interests in disregard of the truth, in disregarding the interests of others, you will end up the same way. And see, the reason that false teachers will bring swift destruction upon themselves and everyone who follows them is that false teaching does not tell the truth about sin and judgment and righteousness. You're never going to hear about sin from a false teacher. The truth is supposed to cause you to turn around, stop you from running away from God, and be reconciled to him before the judgment. And Jesus even said, you know, make friends with the guy who's dragging you to court. Because when you get to court, he's going to hand you over to the bailiff. Bailiff's going to put you in jail. You'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. And what he's saying is, if you end up going to court with God, you're dead. Because the case is against you. You're going to lose. If you know you're going to lose, you better do something about it right now. That's why it always says in Scripture, if you hear his voice today, right now, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. But Felix said to Paul, go away. When I have time, I'll listen to you. That day never came. So, the danger of these times that we live in right now is that we do not want to hear the truth about ourselves. And the real problem with us is that we're not sick, we're not broke. That isn't the biggest problem we face. The biggest problem we face is that we are not like Jesus. Because God is going to judge everyone by him. He is the measure. And we're going to be standing up right next to him. Do we measure up? Where do you stand? So our tendency is to think, you know, I'm okay for the most part. Just a few things that mess up my life, and if once I get those straight, everything's cool. And then secretly, deep down inside, we do not want God to mess our lives up. 
couldn't you just pull a few weeds and everything's cool? But, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now those are the days that we live in right now. We need our lives to be radically plowed up and not worry about keeping everything. I just had it almost good. Why did you mess it up, God? I liked that. Because here's what true teaching is always going to emphasize. The Holy Spirit is going to emphasize the cross of Jesus. And the cross always says to us, your best is unacceptable to God. And therefore, you must trust in the death of Jesus to save you from your sins. True teaching is going to say, furthermore, you died with him. Your old life is gone. You cannot go back to that. And true teaching is going to say, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is about following Jesus, who said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross every day and follow me. If you keep your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. That's true teaching. Here's how to evaluate false teachers. In John 16, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth will come and convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. True teaching. It's not every single person who has a camera and good lights on the internet. So what if it looks professional? There's so much junk out there. If we don't hear the whole truth, we're going to end up by default just thinking about my life, how can I get things so I'm better off and I've got more money and I can relax and take it easy. I don't want to be sick anymore. I don't like this sick junk and I'm tired of being broke. What possible good could it be for me to be broke? What kind of spirituality is that? I'll tell you from experience. It keeps you honest, my friend. And it keeps you praying your brains out. And it lets you know what a weenie you are. Because you're worried sick to death about dough. And God says, you know what? You're going to be fine. But sometimes you need to have a skinny patch. 
So we get serious, you and me. Nice to hear from you. Man, I tell you, I have doubted God so many times, and I come to him and I say, I'm really sorry. He says, it's good to hear from you. (laughs) Now that I have your attention. Okay, so I'm not saying I'm, I'm wildly spiritual here, but I've seen the value of that. And so I thank God for keeping me honest. Now, imagine staying the same as you ever were and not realizing that you are headed every day towards judgment. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're coming closer and closer to judgment. If you stay the same, you're going to the lake of fire. That's what we're to be aware of and say, no way, Lord. Please plow me up. Take out the weeds. Take out the rocks. Break me up. Soften my heart. Make me responsive to you. Don't let me have my own way. See, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He delivered Noah. Can you imagine that eight people were left on the earth when God was done? It's just hard to even consider. But God did it, and he will do it again. How many millions or billions of people are going to go into the lake of fire? You know, we're going to watch that happen. We're going to see mighty angels, glorious. We're going to see them judged. Well, God knows how to deliver us. And as we pray, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to that cross of Christ. There's nothing more important for us. And we're not going to live according to the flesh. We're not going to be bogged down by sin. That's where we get rid of our sin and we start walking with Jesus in newness of life. And any time we get out of that, the Holy Spirit's going to bring us right back. That's where we need to stay. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that everything is headed towards this awesome judgment. where angels and men will be judged. And you say to us to make peace now. And we thank you for sending Jesus to make peace by the blood of his cross. 
All of our sins were nailed with him. We're so thankful. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would work in us by your word, breaking up whatever resists you, whatever is settled and says, eh, I want my way here. Not my will, but yours be done. We thank you, Lord, that we get to pass from judgment into life. We're so glad we get to enjoy that life right now. Thank you. We think about the people around us who don't get this yet. We pray that they would. May they see us in the way that we live and say, you know what, this person's different. This person is like Noah, like Lot. The majority is going the wrong way, and yet we're going the right way. Lord, let us be that light in a dark place, a city set on a hill, and not be afraid about what happens. Pour out your spirit on all flesh and save many. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.